0: John so not the gospel not first second but third John is uh where we are this evening one chapter uh just uh, a very short book there are some pretty great things to examine in this uh short book so we'll dive right in we've uh made note before it starts out by saying the elder and uh, john is well up in his 90s at this point and the church has come to a place where they look to him alone for guidance so when there are questions of doctrine questions within the church of conduct they they ultimately will settle either By asking or on things John has said or written in the past. Uh, He is the final living apostle who was taught directly by Jesus Christ. He has suffered tremendously uh, for his faith. Um, Domitian tried to kill him at one point. Uh, uh, The Roman Empire uh, threw him into a cauldron of boiling oil. um, And... uh, you know the the mockery. Some of it was written was something along the lines of like I'm paraphrasing, but so you want baptism? <laughs> you know, so you you want baptism by fire? So let's do that. Let's let's throw you in this boiling you know cauldron of oil. Um, and in case you're wondering, most oils uh, boil around 350 degrees. Um, that'll scald the flesh right off you instantly. And um, John, uh, I'm exaggerating, uh, just sort of bathed in it. (laughs) It didn't affect him. That really freaked Rome out. Okay. Um, They had, um, you know, tortured and maimed and mutilated uh, the followers of Jesus Christ for nearly a century at this point. And there were miraculous occasions where they imprisoned people and they were trying to kill people and they didn't die. And they, you know, in other cases, go to find them and they're not in the prison anymore. Uh, You put a man in boiling oil and he is unaffected. It isn't that it was minimized. He is unaffected uh, by this occasion. So um, the fear causes rome to take its next step and exile him to the island of patmos uh, which was few survived it Um, uh, the incredibly healthy sometimes survived it but the starvation and the work was just so brutal they would awaken them in the dark And they would forcibly march them, often without any food, into the mines, candlelight and torch. And they would begin the process of hammering out stone. Uh, As day was breaking, they would work through the whole day. uh, And usually there was a break and some water and a little food, but it was... Not enough to give them any relief or sustain them, and immediately back to work until dark, not dusk, dark. And then they would march them back uh, to um, their cells and their resting places and their encampments. Usually people were dropping like flies. It just it was so strenuous. John was in his 90s. Right, already been boiled in oil. oil, already experienced horrible things, experiences the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, want to dwell on that uh, tonight for just a moment. We hear this term a lot uh, apocalypse, and you get the sense of it's danger, it's fearful, it's the end of things. The term means revealing, okay. Um, it's we we have by association changed the definition. The word within itself means the revealing or a revealing, and it does. It has no association with fear or terror or end or death or plagues. The term simply means revealing. You you look at the apocalypse in your Bible, the book of Revelation, right? And uh, I'm not trying to talk down at all. Some people often refer to it as revelations, plural. It's not. It is singular, right? Revelation. And that's very significant for us as believers because it's Jesus Christ's revelation of all things, right? What do you want to know about the end? What do you want to know about how the world is going to end? How, what do you want to know about end times? It's in the book of the apocalypse the revealing revelation very significant very important to us much of what john has to say uh, can be found in all of the prophets but prominently uh, daniel isaiah ezekiel you read the books and you discover jeremiah's you know a lot it's all almost as though john is Almost exclusively writing from summations from the Old Testament prophets. Uh, But there are significant things that could only be given to him by Jesus Christ in the New Testament. So John is very significant to the church, and they revere him this way. This title, he has allowed it to be assigned to himself. you know, he holds the position of an elder. They refer to him as you know the elder, right? The only one is what they're saying. He's the authority of the church. There were others. They've all sacrificed their lives for the faith. John alone remains. So he then says to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, So two parts. Um, A lot of people want to assign this Gaius to other Gaius that we find in the New Testament. And if you're a note taker, you might want to write down Acts chapter 19, verse 29. Acts chapter 20, verse 4. Romans chapter 16, verse 23. And lastly, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14. If you need those Ask me later, I can either give them to you or I can give you my notes. Uh, Gaius is referred to in each of those passages, okay? Um, it's. I'll just say it's impossible for us to say if this Gaius is one of those Gaius. It's possible, maybe even probable, uh, not worth fighting over, right? Because there's no way to definitively say, yes, this is, no, this isn't. In these cases, Um, you know, it literally is so common because of the Greek language that it would be like saying, no, it's this particular John or or this particular Dave. The name is common and and we don't know which one we're talking about. More significantly, the love expressed here in truth. Okay, Um, our culture uh, is. I'm so fixated on uh, the sensual and the sexual that, you know, it tries to always associate love with something physical. Uh, this is love in the truth. It's the idea of I'm in the truth as much as you're in the truth. And therefore, we have this bond that can only be measured at the level of love. It is a thing that we're both completely impassioned by. Our culture has completely lost grip on truth, okay? It started, actually, it's a weird thing, because in the 40s, as we were conquering the most wicked nations in the world, we were simultaneously embracing the philosophies that were emerging from eastern mysticism so that which we're defeating we are simultaneously embracing philosophically drawing it into our universities drawing it into our schools refashioning our education system after all of those systems the wickedness that those systems produced that we ended up having to fight world war ii over Um, Look around the streets. Right? You know, all these people that are screaming about, you know, fascism. You know, and, well, wait a minute. Like, let's look at the definition of fascism. Right? Because the party which is screaming most about that guy's a fascist and we need to get rid of him, their whole policy is fascism. 100%. Okay, it's not like fascism has been changed and now we're calling them fascists. No, fascism as it was, and by definition, it, by definition is what they are today. This is what's destroying our country and our culture is this shift. And, and what's the center of the thing really emerges um, Various degrees, depending on how you measure education, particularly college-level education. But this relativism, okay, and and what is truth? Okay, your truth is true for you, you know, and my truth is true for me. Really? Is that true? You just told me it's impossible to know. So how can we measure? How can anybody measure truth? What if my truth is... I should dominate everyone. I I should be in control. That's my truth. Right? I should be king of the world. Hmm? Have you noticed there are people that think like that? Right? Because of relativism, there is truth. It's it's not interpretable. Right? It is absolute. Right? Who is it? What is it? It's Jesus Christ in the Word of God. Okay? Me, have I studied it, and now I'm assigning that to it? Absolutely not. Jesus Christ declared that to be the truth. As he stood in front of Pontius Pilate, he declared himself to be truth. And Pilate even asked, what is truth? Right? So relativism is not a new philosophy. It's actually very ancient. It reaches way past Rome and Pontius Pilate. The world has struggled with this all along. Why? Because when you reject God, then you reject truth. By rejecting truth, then everything can be declared as truth. The absurdity of the whole thing—it's really quite remarkable. Um, I've said, you know, we we start throwing out truth you know things are going to shift years ago I wasn't my prediction i was just echoing other prophets as I was saying you know it's gonna it's gonna come down to uh, what is marriage but, you know in in the end of the 80s you know pastors were saying that i was saying that uh, you know if you if you question that then then anything can become marriage people balked at that you know, if you say a man and a man can be married, a woman and a woman can be married, then why can't five women be married to one man? You've redefined marriage to extend it even further. I said then why can't a human being be married to an animal? And people were like, "Oh, that's ridiculous." And and then a woman was granted permission to marry a dolphin and had the ceremony and just it's a long distance relationship. But, you know, it's it's it, this is our culture. This, this is where we are headed. I watched an interview last week with a young woman who believes she believes she's a wolf. You know, try to even reason with her about it. You're the one that's going to look foolish in the end. Uh, there's no arguing with it. Once you abandon truth, then everything's up for grabs. Everything can be interpreted. You know, life. Is it, is it life or is it choice? You know, is it a child, right? The things that slip out of people's grasp. John is sacrificing his life for truth. Gaius meets him in the same level of commitment, and they have a bond that can be expressed as love. So in verse 2... Beloved, now <clears throat> referring to Gaius, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, in our culture today, Christian culture, there's a whole bunch of people that have grabbed this one verse and they have blown it up to fill the whole world. It's, I mean, it's weird, but like so health, wealth and prosperity. You should always be healthy and you should always be prosperous. This man was so feeble at this point in his life and so impoverished, I'll add, that the church was caring for his every physical need and they literally carried him from place to place on a chair. If he needed to get out of the chair, people picked him up and put him on the bed. If he needed to move outside, they moved him outside. He couldn't move himself. This statement bluntly understood is a standard greeting within a letter that's all it is okay does it have application sure but we should not turn this into christian doctrine okay Uh, if your soul prospers in the lord many of us have had the experience where our health just nosedives and we end up flat on our back With nowhere to look but straight up. And in that process, you get really close to the Lord. You might even sink real, real low. But in the blackness, somehow Christ finds you. And now you're elevated way beyond. Into his presence, into his grace, into his joy, right? Happiness might not even be present, but you have joy. It's an odd thing. You know, I've explained that before. Happiness and joy, very different, right? We need to define that each time, right, class? Because, you know, you come to me in desperate financial need and say, Pastor Will, can you help me out? And I say, what do you need? And you say, it's crazy, but I need $10,000. And I say, okay, well, here you go. And I write you a check for $10,000. Sign it. You're overjoyed. All your problems just disappeared. You sort of float out of the church, happy as a clam, till you get to my bank. Right. Try to cash that thing. There's not ten thousand dollars in my bank account. You're getting nothing is what you're getting. You know, what I'm saying right because there's not happiness shot you into the stratosphere when I handed you a piece of paper. And now not only have you crashed back down to earth, you've sunk lower. Now you hate me. Maybe you hate Christianity. You've got a whole bunch to vent. Right. Happiness just incinerated itself right there. Pile of ash all gone. Happiness comes and goes. Circumstances can make you very happy and turn right around. Same circumstances and make you filled with rage, filled with disappointment. Happiness is fickle. Joy, joy is different. When you're grounded in Christ, things can be very, very dark. And you can find a contentment in your soul. In your relationship with Christ, your soul can prosper, right? If your soul prospers, it does benefit you physically, right? Think of all the verses you've read, right? It's a a verse in Proverbs that tells us laughter is good medicine, right? You've experienced it, haven't you, right? You, You got to watch some comedian. You got to hang out with friends. You had an evening of laughter, and the darkness disappeared. Your soul was lifted up, right? Happiness, you know, that prosperity of the soul can actually provide you with physical healing. Think of all the things that tell us how negativity and doubt and anger and hatred, right? They, they curse the physical frame. Like rottenness to the bones, like cancer to the bones, as it is described in the scripture. And yet, goodness and light and laughter and friendship, as your soul prospers, your physical frame can also. Right? Even if you're struggling physically. Even if you're struggling. for So so this has a truth in it that we want to embrace and hold on to. But it's not an absolute truth of you should always be prosperous and you should always be healthy and you should always be wealthy. You know, these men, particularly here, John, look at, uh, you know, Paul, look at the apostles, look at Jesus. They, they purposely suffered poverty and struggle and difficulty in order to benefit others, the church and the body and those they were ministering to. The people who embrace the wickedness of money, they always take these passages and twist them around and try to make them something else. Paul told us the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. It really is very, very destructive. So here, your soul should prosper in the Lord, and if you're incredibly wealthy, also great. That that's that's cool. Uh, you know, the Lord the Lord is actually fine with that. You know, uh, money. Uh, I don't think any of us in this room know that experientially, but uh, you know, it is conceptually, biblically, doctrinally real. Okay. Um, you know, I I have had uh, the rare occasion to meet a few incredibly wealthy people who their whole purpose in life is to serve the body of Christ with their wealth. I've met others who have incredible wealth, and they leech off from the body of Christ, and they take advantage of the body of Christ, and they manipulate the body. I'm not talking about those guys at all. The, those who genuinely have the heart of Christ to serve and care for others remarkable. Remarkable thing. Very, very blessed thing. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. Um, I should have had that already. Um, So I'm just going through the news last night, and I come across uh, this article uh, where um, Don McClure's son, Mike McClure, uh, all of the charges were uh, dropped against them. So um, they are the ones that had millions of dollars in fines against them in California for continuing to have church. Okay, So in case you're wondering, okay, when the next wave comes around, and it will come around, okay. <clears throat> they said, we are not going to close our church and we're not going to wear masks. Okay, and the local government started heaping the fines on him when they were done. it was millions of dollars in fines um so um the young man um and I'm just because I'm trying to remember so hard that his name is it Carson uh Adderley was. Part of Calvary Chapel Bangor's uh, School of Ministry, Uh, he uh, worked with us in CRD, went to um, uh, Calvary Chapel San Jose and served an internship as the assistant pastor there under Mike McClure. So the fines were, he he was, I mean, it was printed out, the fines were leveled against uh, Mike McClure and Carson and um, so initially they went through the whole process and what happened was uh, the Supreme Court said that California had violated the Constitution. And so California, Governor Gavin Newsom owed Calvary Chapel, uh, I think it was $3.1 million. Was, uh, the, and now this is like over a year ago. But the city hung on to its fines saying, "Yeah, you know, and it was sort of like, and now that you got all that money, you can pay your fines. And that was all found on unconstitutional. And uh, those were all dropped yesterday. So I sent uh, Carson uh, a text last night and said, wow, man, you're completely cool kind of thing. So he just laughed. Um, very humble guy. Um, I'd like I could. Here's here's John saying I heard about you and you're incredible. Okay, I, I heard about Mike McClure and uh, Carson and they're incredible. You know, I'm just I'm just into it. I, I actually heard of one occasion where the federal agencies came through the door of the church. And Carson, uh, I don't know how true it is, you know, how stories get exaggerated, but I'm told single-handedly stopped them at the door and ordered them to all turn around and go right back out because they did not have a search warrant. They had no permission to be on the property and they were there to disrupt the service that was going on. So turn your junk around and go right back out the door. The courts have said both things. You guys, I want you to hear this because it's going to come up again. Our gathering together in defiance of the federal government, right? The White House or our state government is correct. Not not that it's allowed. It's correct. They're incorrect. They are the ones that violated the Constitution on two grounds. Two grounds, freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Both of those mask mandate. And barring us from gathering together are a violation of freedom of religion and freedom of speech. As the governments have said, that the local government and the federal government were wrong. The White House was wrong for declaring that. Okay, State of Maine is still doing it, if you can believe that. Janet Mills. right? She is not granting any. I'm going to get back to the study, I promise. Uh, she is not grant, granting any religious exemption. For the people in particularly the medical community. And also one of the things that's like a very small sub note is as my wife experienced, is medical education. They can't do their internships in the hospital because they refuse to get the vaccine. So even the mask is a violation, freedom of speech and freedom of religion. So anyway, huge studies about kids and how they didn't learn anything because they, you know, they're in kindergarten and first grade and they aren't seeing their teacher's face. It's covered up with a mask. They can't communicate with one another, you know, and follow the other studies regarding how ineffective it is to block the disease. So where was I? Here, uh, I heard about you. Brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. In the truth, you know, our God is the God of science. It's hard for some people to imagine. You know, they've excommunicated faith and science from one another. It's not true. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. And so here's John making this expression of... You are a spiritual child of mine. I can tell you as a pastor that when I invest huge amounts of time in everyone's life like this and individuals' lives, and then you see them grow, (laughs) just... (laughs) You could throw so many other things in my life away, and I wouldn't care to see people grab a hold of the truth and live according to it. It is such a fulfilling thing spiritually, right? And anybody that spent any amount of time with me you know, knows that I very much push people to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, not me, All right? Got to know Jesus yourself. You know, you can go through the process of Pastor Will, Pastor Will, Pastor Will. And if that's all it is, is constantly Pastor Will, you're getting so shortchanged. It's it's just, I mean, you know, it's ridiculous uh, to think, uh, try to make any comparison to me and what I can provide, you know experience, wisdom, word, you know, whatever the maximum amount of any of these things that I can impart to you, Jesus Christ can impart so much more. You know, spend a half hour with me. You might come away with a couple, you know, quick phrases, you know, one good joke. um, I don't know, maybe, maybe, probably not, right? Um, Spend a half hour with Jesus. Um, Life-changing, you know, Spend a half hour every day with Jesus. You know, that will change your life without question. This is what we need. This is, this is what is required. This is what will accomplish this fulfillment that we're all looking for. We're all longing for these things. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Um, you know, I am uh, a great mentor and... Um, you know, on many occasions, uh, I've said, you're like a father to me. And he's always been faithful to say, I'm merely your brother. You know, at, at best, <laughs> I'm a good older brother, at best, you know, and that's questionable. And so, you know, in that process, we we got to make sure our focus is in the right place while John is saying, you know, like, Gaius is perhaps like a son you know in the end Jesus is saying call no man on earth your heavenly father your spiritual father call no man on earth your spiritual teacher for one is your teacher the Christ you are all brethren right I've been tutored a few times over the years by highly effective students in whatever class I was studying you know I'm just not getting whatever I'm getting Sit down with a tutor and they help you out a lot. They're taking the same class you are, but they have a better, a clearer understanding and a capability to communicate that truth to you. Tutors are good, helpful, right? So you got an older brother or a sister in the Lord who's capable of imparting to you certain things you need. Don't put them on the wrong shelf. Okay? They're very, very useful to you, they're very, very helpful. But guess what? They're on the same level as you, right? It's, a, it's an unfortunate thing to see. I'll never forget Bill Gallatin uh, brought Calvary Chapel to the East Coast. He um, still works as a pastor at Calvary Chapel Finger Lakes in uh, Farmington, New York. His son has taken over that church, uh, Scott Gallatin, a great friend of mine. Um, and, uh, I I never, never forget. I was with a mutual friend, much older than me. He was walking away from me. I was just behind him. He approaches Bill Gallatin and he starts to explain how he had talked to someone that afternoon and Bill is listening intently and all at once. He says, stop, stop, stop. This man is trying to make you Jesus. You are not go back and make him understand that. And all these problems will go away. Is it the, you know this man? I know that's sort of second, third, fourth, fifth uh, place understanding. But my friend Walter is discipling other people, and and Walter is relaying to Bill, "I'm struggling with this person," and Bill says, "You're struggling with that person because that person's trying to make you Jesus." Right? We got we want to be careful how much we cooperate with that, you know, because it is flattering, but it's really ineffectual, right? <laughs> Because they need Jesus, not you. That's, that's what's needed in our lives. So certainly no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Verse 5, beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. Specific compliment, okay? And that, that's a great thing to, when you recognize, look, when you're hanging out with people, when you're discipling them, when you're encouraging them in their faith, very often our temptation becomes to point out their flaws, okay? It's really easy to do that, okay? You know why it's most easy to do that? Because you know your own flaws, okay? And so you make a whole bunch of heaping criticism about the flaw, okay? Uh, My suggestion is look for the positive, right? And it's not just to be overly positive. I'll ask you the question. How much has someone attacking you and correcting you and berating you ever changed you? Usually very little, right? Usually very little. Those things do come out in time, right? Because we already know our own flaws right? They're glaring. They bug us. We can't stand them. We deal with them more than anybody else. You know, maybe we're hiding them effectively from everyone else, and we're the only ones that actually know what our flaws are, and they are tearing us apart. We don't need to be beaten over the head, okay? What does need to happen is we need to be very effective at whatever the Lord has gifted us towards. So here, John very specifically says, I've heard things about you, And they're good. (laughs) You are doing an excellent job in these regards. And he's going to do that a little bit right here. He's going to build the person up. And therein is the character of Christ, right? To build people up. Sure, he corrects, right? The thing I always point out to people is, you know, the, um, the devil wants to abuse you. The devil wants to accuse you. The devil wants to say terrible things, right? He's the accuser of the brethren, according to Revelation. Uh, Christ wants to build you up, right? Based on what we see in the scripture, the final analysis is uh, everything that's bad gets just burnt up in the fire and all that's left is good. Right? So, so here's an approach, He's going to address the bad that is very necessary to address because it's completely bad in this situation, building him up in this. So uh, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. People talk about you in a good way. They say good things about who you are and what you do. If you send them Forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Now, specifically, we talked about uh, uh, the Didache. So uh, in uh, 2 John, there were a number of itinerant uh, prophets, mostly. Later, it became evangelists, and then even pastors were traveling around. But at the time, specifically, prophets were traveling around. And how it began was with real prophets. These men traveled around and ministered the worship of God very powerfully. And the church was very, very uh, edified by their work. But what uh, outsiders began to observe is, hey, these guys are sort of treated like royalty. And so they labeled themselves as a prophet and they would start traveling around and show up and be like, I'm a prophet. And thus saith the Lord. And then they'd say a lot of junk and, you know. Make sure that the church made a big meal and they would eat very well and stay for a few days and take a few offerings and put it in their pocket and go to the next church. So the apostles become aware of this, so they write a book, uh, a letter essentially uh, known as the Didache that they send around, and it's not accurate, but uh, you can think of it this way, did act, Didache. So it is, it is how the, the true apostles did act. And how everyone that follows should act. Okay, so the Didache says, yes, prophets can come into your midst and speak. And they can even demand of the church that the church prepare a big meal. But they're not allowed to eat of it. If they're a true prophet, they should not eat of that meal. That they're there to serve, right? Christ wasn't there to care for himself. He was there to care for others. He can even demand that offerings be taken and money be raised like outside what the church was normally doing once a week a prophet could show up and say we're going to take a special offering this evening right and when that money was gathered he could say all of this money should be given to that person over there you know their house was destroyed or you know they're suffering some hardship so all that money will go to them if they take it for themselves if they try to, don't give them the money, know that they're a false prophet, label them a false prophet, drive them out of the church, okay? Uh, so in this discussion is part of that, because as these apostles are coming down, we're going to see there are people within the church who are not letting the real, apostles, the real prophets come, refusing them, right, making a name for themselves, and here is Gaius who... Contrary to that is welcoming them, caring for them, providing for them, and sending on on their way. And words getting around that gayest guy really wants to make the church strong. He wants to make the church healthy. He is continuously providing for others, others centric. You know, however, we would apply that today when you experience people within the church who are others centered. That's always notable when somebody wants to care for others. So here in this uh, situation, as he continues, you know uh, uh, if you uh, who have a born witness of your love before the church, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for His name's sake, taking nothing, From the Gentiles. And there's something about that. Uh, The church has commercialized itself and continues to commercialize itself more and more uh, where it actually takes money from non-Christian organizations. You want to support our ministry? Send funds. Send this. It's really problematic. Uh, Is it completely forbidden in the scripture? I don't think so. Uh, Is it very problematic? Always. Always. You know. taking money taking funding from non-christian entities you know if you come in the front door and there's a big coca-cola display and their products out you know what i'm saying and money is flowing in you got to know there's probably some level of compromise right they've got certain agendas i mean i'm just you know throwing out whatever imaginary example i can give but you know that idea of giving and and listen there are lots of churches that do like actively do this they have people that go around all the businesses we're from such and such a local church we're looking for donations would you like to support our ministries and they'll accept and accept and accept you know it's problematic it, it presents problems you want to, you want to be careful of doing it or uh, being part of a church that does could be beneficial, that's between them and the Lord. It's very dangerous, very, very problematic because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. Gentiles, uh, you know, Jews, Gentiles, it's simply in this understanding of this time as believers versus non-believers. That, that's how it's summarized. You know, it isn't, it isn't a matter of uh, non-Jewish people or such. It's just a matter, you know, much more accurately, Believers versus non-believers. We therefore ought to receive such, those that would come in and minister the gospel in a selfless way, that we may become fellow workers for the truth. We shouldn't be saying, we don't accept prophets here. You know, these traveling prophets that come. No, sorry. We don't don't accept you. Um, Example, church, this church, last Sunday. Right? Uh, We had um, Dr. Jeffrey Benjamin here from uh, creation Ministries international um, and uh, we bless that ministry you church blessed that ministry I them' coming here and I would say they profoundly blessed us in a lot of ways the things I had to share and the resources they gave really really great uh, opportunity there we like it when we find like-minded Ministries, and we can couple together with them and work and minister with them. So it's a a really gracious thing. Uh, Workers for the truth, fellow workers for the truth. All right. Um, Now he discusses uh, Diotrephes and uh, Demetrius here, uh, verse uh, nine. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. What? Kind of a knucklehead would not allow the Apostle John the Elder to come to his church. I mean, it's just how obs- and and literally this is what's going on. Diotrephes wouldn't allow him. Not going to allow that guy. Not going to Not going to allow him to come to church. That, that's he you know what he loves the preeminence himself. You know, King Diotrephes in control of the whole thing you know, tells people who can come, who can go, who can pray, who can't, you know, when you can stand, when you can sit, when you, you know, just monstrous in every setting. This is who this person is. Uh, Controlling, there was a movement that went through the church a number of years ago called shepherding. Some of you probably experienced it. Uh, Really destructive. And the concept was Um, There are people who are very mature within Christianity, and they will help shepherd immature people within Christianity. And it turns into uh, usually there were some women involved, but it was almost always men, particular men chosen to be shepherds. And they would tell usually younger men, but sometimes younger men and women, what they could do in every scenario. So, uh, nope, you can't eat at that restaurant. And you can't hang out with those people and you can't date that man and you can't own that car and you can't go to that service, but you can go to this service. And they become all controlling of every setting, telling them what doctrine they can believe, what Bible, what version of the Bible they can read uh, and, you know, all various degrees of that shepherding. Right. I just reviewed with us. Right. We have one shepherd. Right, We don't have any spiritual father. We do not even have any spiritual teacher. We are all brethren. right? Someone who might be more mature than you, that could impart a whole bunch of wisdom to you, might also be incredibly immature in some area that you could easily identify. And at that point, you can listen to them right up to that subject and then like, ah, no, I can't listen to you on the subject. You know, it's it's interesting how... People inflate themselves. So here he wants a preeminence among them and does not receive us. You know, John coming as one of the apostles as a prophet. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does. If I show up, right, I'm not going to stay away just because he said so. I was chosen, John is saying, as an apostle sent out by Jesus Christ. And if the Lord tells me to go to the church where he is, I'm going to confront him face to face. I'm going to say the things that need to be said. So I will call to mind his deeds. And that isn't, you know, he's going to publicly make a display. You know, here, Diotrephes has publicly taken a position against the known spiritual leadership of the church. And so John is saying, well, I'll handle that when I get there. This term, pratting, right? So, therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. The definition of pratting is to be a babbler or trifler, that is by implication to berate idly, meaning there's no foundation to the rebuke or mischievously to prat against. This is who this man is. He's, he's a big mouth. He just runs his mouth, says a lot of things, overinflates himself, pratting against us with malicious words and not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren. So now we're getting down to that issue I described. And forbid those who wish to, putting them out of the church. So if people raise these, oh, these are real prophets. Shouldn't we be hearing from them? Let's. I just spoke to one the other day, and, and I wrote a letter, and, and he's coming. Well, you're out. You throw them out of the church. As though he has authority to do this. There, there are people that behave this way. Um, and, it, and it goes on both sides of things. Uh, I'll describe to you what I had to deal with as a pastor many, many years ago where a husband and wife got into a big argument in their home, and the wife was making things really bad. Um, and just trust me, ladies, I'm not saying that maliciously. When you start throwing people's lunch at them, right, you're not trying to calm things down, okay? Okay. And so the husband storms out of the house and jumps in his pickup truck, and of course now he's completely in the flesh. And as he tears out of the driveway and spits rocks and gravel, it smashes the door where the wife is standing, yelling out in the driveway. So now the police get called, right? And now the husband's in jail, and I'm down there with the daughter bailing them out. And you know this is this is decades ago, okay? So we sort with that quietly family get things sorted out just a little while later a woman calls me up from the church and says um, basically I don't know what you've been doing but I need the phone number of every person in our church right now and I'm like well I don't normally do that Uh, why would you need the phone numbers because we all need to be in prayer for this couple Uh, I don't think it's wise that we would tell everyone in the church what just happened in that couple's home this afternoon. They all need to know. No, I'm certain that they don't. Screaming now at me about how, who do you think you are? You know, everybody says, we have the right, we can pray together. You can't tell us who we can pray with. And in the end, I had to hang the phone up. And I mean, like, politely, like, I'm going to let you go. This is going nowhere. Sorry to hang up on you, but I'm just going to hang up, you know, hang up the phone. Uh, You know, some people aren't even in leadership, but they have an overinflated sense of authority and entitlement. Imagine uh, imagine if I was just handing out all of your phone numbers to everyone for no reason. For good reasons, right? Probably some of you would be like, I'd rather everyone didn't know my phone number. Number one. Number two, if you've had some kind of meltdown failure in your life, certainly you don't want the whole church knowing, right? And I'm the funnel in that moment, not because I've taken that position. I just happen to have all the numbers. now. It's being People get too strong a sense of authority. There's a reason God has established leadership within the church, right? Uh, You know, I'll point out to you again, the only time I'm aware of God, Jesus in the flesh, stops everything and says to everyone listening all throughout the centuries, look at this man's faith. Is the centurion who says, I understand authority. I'm in authority, I understand your authority, you're in charge, you're the man, whatever you say, that's what's going to happen. The only time Jesus stops the whole ministry is to point out a man's faith by his understanding authority. We, We, as the church, should take that very deeply to heart. That Jesus Christ places a tremendous amount of responsibility upon authority. Godly authority. So here, defiance of the authority, putting people out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil. Notice that he doesn't even directly say, do not imitate diatrophies. (laughs) Right? Just don't imitate what is evil. Right? I think the reason he does that is because this brand of evil actually comes from outside the church. This worldly sense of overinflated ego and authority and domineering over other people, that shouldn't even be in the church, right? That evil comes from outside the church, and now it's been translated, in, in this case, inside the church, through diatrophies, and John is saying, yeah, you don't want to have anything to do with this kind of evil. Stay away from it. But what is good, in contrast, so he who does good is of God. He who does evil has not seen God. Now, Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. He does what is truth. People speak of him highly, and John is essentially saying, when I look at you know the, the word of God, truth, uh, I can say that Demetrius is one who functions according to the truth. So people speak well of him, and the truth itself speaks well of him. Um, So here, uh, and from the truth itself, and we also bear witness, and you know, that our testimony is true. So, you know, John is, at this point, throwing down uh, the business card. Saying, look, you know, if you need a personal reference of Demetrius, let me just say it outright. I do speak well of that man and give him my recommendations. This is a letter being written forward to this church, and he's openly saying to them, Diotrephes, that's a scoundrel, and you want to stay away from that guy. Demetrius is a guy who is exemplary, and you all want to behave like him. Imagine when that letter was read on Sunday morning. And Demetrius is, you know, sitting over here thinking, wow, justification. And Diotrephes is over here, easy to see because his head just exploded. You know what I'm saying? And now, now take another layer to this, you guys. This whole thing of tolerance and let's cover things up and let's not speak openly about what is admirable and who is shameful. You know, the church needs to be aware that there are certain people who are going to rise up in the church that the church needs to be made aware. That person right over there by name is someone you should stay away from. Now, had a man in this church not that many years ago now, sexually took advantage of a young woman, really wreaked havoc on her life and her family and this church. And then... Immediately following that, he's on Facebook trying to make an excuse Please be understanding. Please, 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 please. And I showed up here and stated his name in full outright and said, please stay away from this man. Do not communicate with him on Facebook. Please do not reach out to him or let him reach out to you. Oh, man, a whole bunch of people came up to me after. Like, who do you think you are? Uh, I'm a shepherd who's trying to protect the sheep in this flock, right? Shepherding movement, no, right? But Peter said to the elders, shepherd the flock, feed them the word of God and protect them, right? Just in case you weren't aware, one of the women who got very mad at me at that time, this is more than five years ago now, left the church, had a whole bunch to say. She wrote me a letter and actually asked me to read it to the whole church addressed it to this church i didn't read it to this whole church i talked to a handful of people who it was appropriate to but the letter said dear calvary chapel down east i was completely wrong will was completely right this guy that he warned us away from then actively pursued my daughter uh, th- there are reasons, you guys, to know and respect and follow the appropriate leadership. You know, when I stood John Sear up here, laid my hands on him, asked you all to come behind, lay hands on him with me, that guy's been at my side for 19 years and he has served so faithfully. So faithfully. And without recognition, he always wants to shrink back, right? He's always a humble guy. I'm telling you, like Demetrius, John Sear. That's an example you can look to. You'll know the other ones because they'll behave like diatrophies. They'll they'll be disruptive. They'll do bad things. So in this situation, I'll just close this out. Uh, I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. Uh, But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends uh, by name. So, you know, face-to-face, so important. Again, I'll take that whole approach. Text messages, emails, Facebook, you know, you'd be in a real bad mood. Somebody that maybe put you in a bad mood uh, sends you a text later and says, "How's how's it going? You read, how's it going? You know, all they said was, How's it going? Until you speak to them face to face, much much better to extract the emotion. All right? And this is what John is saying. I got a lot of things to say to you. Think about how sticky that situation was he was just talking about. He's saying, I got a whole bunch more to talk about. It's better if we do it face to face. It's better if you do it face to face. Come to church. No? Go visit your friend. That's very helpful. Show up, have a coffee, a tea, you know, just hang out for a little while. Face-to-face discussion. Very fruitful, very important. Simple letter. Amen? Amen. Well, that's the time we have. Why don't we stand and we'll pray. (laughs) Throw her a line, man. Father God, we are so grateful for your love, your graciousness in our lives. And we ask that you would minister to us, fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would behave more like you and less like ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.